Am I making any sense? All right, here we are, another Am I Making Sense? Today I'm very excited to have with me the hilarious, the inspiring Joe Gorman. Joe, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Of course, thanks for having me, man. I, I you know, we've never met in person. Mm-hmm. So listeners should be aware, me and Joe have never bumped into each other at a mic, but due to the... Um, I guess the silver lining in the pandemic, we've been doing a lot of Zoom shows and bumping into each other there. That's right. And uh, you're hilarious, man. I always, I look forward to your set. I always enjoy your set. And uh, I thought, man, I gotta, I gotta talk to this guy on the podcast. Awesome, man. <laughs> you are hilarious. So, so much. Um, talk to me a little bit about uh, the contrast. So what was your... I guess day-to-day comedy like uh, life like prior to the COVID-19 thing versus now we're all kind of locked in place. And we should also mention, we'll get into this, but you're also in New York, right? You're in the heart that's, of it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about how things are over there right now. It, it's just completely different than, than how it, it used to be like a, a few weeks ago, I mean, not, uh, but a few months ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, originally, uh, b- before, you know, COVID-19, I, I had a job in Manhattan, so I was working nine to five. Okay. Um, and then once, uh, once work let out at five, I would hit up, you know, um, either open mics or showcases. Usually I would do an open mic that started at like 6 PM and then it, I would be done around like seven, seven thirty, And then I go check out either a show okay. at eight or a different open mic at eight. And I could even do like another open mic, um, a later one at like 1030 or 11. So I was getting like, you know, three to four open mics a day uh, if I wasn't doing a showcase already. So I was, yeah. you know, fairly active in, in, the, uh, in the scene. There was always something to do. Yeah. You know. Um, City that never a, sleeps, baby. Yeah, exactly. And there really was something to do like every night. Even if it wasn't comedy, you could, you know, watch music or, yeah. you know, just go out to a bar or whatever. There was always something to do. And in, in March, everything just started shutting down. You yeah. Know? Uh, I have a photo of me in Grand Central Station on, on like eight o'clock on a Saturday night and it's just completely empty. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, and this was like in, this was like March 25th. Yeah. Know? So it was like right when it was like, like everyone was like inside. Yeah. It was before we were, it was, everyone was like trying to like minimize how much they were going outside, but yeah. it was before masks were being standardized. Sure. Uh, and you guys were getting hit pretty hard right from the get-go probably yeah, around, we, what, April yeah. or something like that March yeah we April. got like the first wave like yeah. all of like all of it like that came in from Europe yeah uh, hit New York for well it's such a big you know uh, uh trading like you know there's all the yeah. ports and, and everything in, in yeah. New York City and it's you know that's like a it's a huge like the import export business here so yeah there was definitely like interaction plus like just the the, the volume of tourism yeah and, and international business that happens here so yeah, yeah, we got hit hard. But the benefit to that was that, um, you know, like be, because of that, we were like also the first to kind of start showing signs of like recovery. And we also were, everyone like in New York just really just came together and immediately, you know, as soon as they were like, okay, well, we need to start staying inside more. We need to practice social distancing. We need to just use as much hand sanitizer as possible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> gloop, you know, gloop, gloop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and like, yeah, there were like, I guess like there were some shortages, but you know, I, yeah. I guess I was lucky in like the residential area I, I was located in, 
there was still plenty of toilet paper and 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 soap for everyone and uh the grocery so store are you in the stopped. boroughs are you in one of the boroughs yeah i'm in i'm in uh i'm in manhattan but i'm in uh, harlem oh nice uh, yeah, yeah so you're right there you're in the thick of it yeah it's it's great i love living in uh i love manhattan like there's all it's it's just so it's such a late night city you know yes that's what Very i love cool. i feel like i i've only been a few times to new york mm-hmm. but what i can say is it feels like there's some kind of energy that starts yeah. waking up around 10 o'clock that you're like holy shit every almost every other city i've been to it's like you know midnight like the energy peaks a little earlier in yeah. the evening People get like a little tired, but they're like 24 hour people here. Yes, I mean, it's 24 hour people. So like 10 o'clock people start ramping up and you go, oh my God, things are coming alive right now. Yeah. And then you can just be out to whatever, probably two or three is modest. I'll, you know? I'll tell you what, man, like sometimes like even if you're, you're, if you're out and about at 5 a.m., that's like when the real intersection of people of like the, the super late night people and like the, the morning people just intersect at McDonald's, you know, yeah. like everyone's there to get coffee or something. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's great. You know? Um, so aside from like the first couple of, uh, uh, I guess like March and, and, and April, and then like into May, uh, people started being like a little more, uh, out and about, but just more conscious of it. But yeah, there was like, just like, a a period of time, uh, where there was just like nothing, nothing going on at all. Right. Um, and it was, I, I was actually slow to adapt to zoom as well and it okay, wasn't that's what i wanted to get into how, how yeah, long yeah, yeah. you started doing all this stuff well like um the, so like the first month or so um i really wasn't doing a, a whole lot I, I there was like a there were a handful of zoom shows mm-hmm. um and and mics but the only ones i really knew about were ones that other new york comedians were posting about right and uh for the longest time, like I just, I didn't know, I didn't have any like resources to really kind of, I would post on my Facebook page, like, Hey, I'm going to try running an open mic. Yeah. Come by. And like a lot of times no one would like even show up because I was just posting it on my own personal page Yeah, and, and maybe like uh, a couple of the open mic pages that I ran. Cause I used to run multiple open mics in New York city too. Okay. And so when those clubs closed, it was like, ah, bummer. Now I don't, you know, yeah the great resource for me is is just being able to have reliable stage time in new york you know uh that was awesome and and you know i had like a i had a showcase and an open mic and and nice. just to lose out on like you know a solid 20 minutes of stage time a week that's yeah. a real bummer you know it's like ah shoot yeah <laughs> so. stage time that's what i'm realizing if you aren't if you aren't 100 in on stand-up comedy it's going to be hard to master this discipline. And the reason yeah. is, is because it's kind of one of those things where you can't even get a foothold unless you're doing what, like 30 million, 30 minutes a week. I don't know. I'm just throwing out numbers. I'm making stuff up, but let's say you're only getting like four mics a week mm-hmm. and you're an open micer. So you're really only getting five minutes. So you're getting 20 minutes a week. That's not enough. If you're talking that 10,000 hour rule, right, you're, right. you're 40 years away from being able to, you know, become somewhat competent at this discipline. Whereas, like you said, you've got your open mic, you've got your showcase. So at least I'm the guy on the mic on the stage in between mm-hmm. the acts and then also at the beginning and at the end of the show. So you might be able to, you know, add some significant multipliers onto your time. But Definitely. this is, it's a difficult, difficult gig if you're not really dedicating to yourself, you know, five to seven times 
a, a week in my estimation, because I'm still fairly new at it. I mean, you've got time, mm -hmm. you've got time in, but I've, I've, I'm new to it. And I'm just like, I don't know how I'll get enough mic time to be able to get competent at this. Well, Mike, Mike, uh, Mike time is just like, you know, one aspect of comedy because, yeah. you know, for a, a lot of comics, it's, it's, there's, there's mic time. Uh, but then there's also, you know, the time you need, uh, there's also comics that will say, you know, don't, don't worry about open mics, you know, hit up like two or three open mics a week just to stay sharp. What yeah. really matters is being disciplined and writing for an hour a day and being uh, able to generate like an hour of, of, you know, sitting down and like, you know, reading the newspaper and being able to extract jokes from the newspaper, going yeah. through your life, being able to extract jokes from that. There's comedians that say that there's comedians that say um, it doesn't matter um, how, how many times you, as long as you're on stage for like at least 10 minutes to like really work out like a 10 minute set, there's yeah. like all these different philosophies. And, and honestly, like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way. Right. I think like all forms of art, you know, like you, if, but look, Picasso and, and Michelangelo are going to have two different opinions on, on how a, a human figure should be represented, you know, I... but they're both great artists, but, and, you know, I, I think a lot of times people look at comedy as like the business. Like if you do these steps, you'll be successful mm. and, and create and have fun. That's a trap, right? Game. Well, I mean, it, it can be, but I think that it also just like sets your expectations of like, unless I'm making X amount of money after X amount of years in comedy, I'm a failure and I shouldn't even bother because what's the point? Right. And it's like, it can take years for, for, you know, your stage persona to manifest. It could take a while before you figure out what's the recipe for you. You know, comedy yeah. is, is if you're doing stand up comedy in person, there's a visual aspect. If you're doing it online, there's a technology, a technological aspect. Yeah. You know, there's an audible aspect to it. There, there's a, a visual aspect to it as well. Yeah. And every, and, and for each comic, it's a, it's a different and, and unique combination. And, and part of open mics in the writing process is you figure out what that combination is, you know, and some people, you know, they need to write more uh, than others. And, and some comics, they, they don't need to write as much, be, but for them, writing is going on stage and riffing and, and doing crowd work. And there's other comics that are saying like, I'm going to write for seven hours and, and, and self edit and, and self publish. And then when I go on stage, I'm going to do my act, but I'm not really going to interact with the audience. And that's what works for me. And everyone's, everyone's different. Everyone's unique. Right. And, and I think a, a lot of problems with those, those books are they're saying like, there's one specific recipe, but each comic has, has a different approach to it. And, and every comic is widely successful in, in different ways. You know, there's some that are, that just got, that got popular through, through Twitter. There's right. some that got popular through their, you know, writing for a show or because they're actually uh, acting and, and they were, they had a bit part in a movie. And because of that, people retroactively got into their library of comedy. Like there's so many different ways you know, and every comic will have like a different origin story of, of how they kind of got to where they are. But it's, it's never like, I did this and this and this. And it's not like a regular job where, you know, well, I started at, at you know, yeah. this level. And because I worked for three years, I got promoted to this. Right. And I moved to a different city. Like if you move to a different city, it's not like a job transfer where it's like, yeah. I was an assistant manager at this Starbucks and now, 
now that I'm in New York, I get to be an assistant manager here. It's like, no, well, actually, you got to go through the whole process again. But you're pushing the blender button at the uh, bring you on as a as like an entry level cashier. But then when they see your skills at making a latte, they're like, oh, okay, well, maybe this person should be moved up a little bit faster than if they were, you know, hired fresh. Uh, if that makes sense. So, Oh, it makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. The skills you, you amass in comedy, like those will still go with you. Right. And through that, like there's clout that will follow. And sometimes, you know, there's people that have enough connections in, in one city that when they move to another, those connections will transfer over and they still have friends. Like I I'm from uh, San Francisco originally. Yeah. That's where I started doing comedy. And I did comedy in San Francisco for like 12 years. Right. And, uh, you know, I had, so I had all the, I had like a decade plus of experience doing stand-up comedy. Right. And in, in those 12 years, I, I met a handful of comics in New York too. Right. So when I moved out here, it wasn't, you know, completely without friends. I had, I had enough connections and, and my current living situation, uh, I was able to get it because of a, a comic I met in San Francisco who lived in New York, but she was visiting at the time. And then she needed a roommate when I was living in New York. So it, it all it all lined up, you know. So what was the what was the trigger for you that made you want to change markets? And we're gonna go back. You said a lot of yeah. cool stuff about how you know you're not necessarily moving at the same level when you go to a new city because mm-hmm. I think of New York as like you you touched on the thing about you know some comics more and more now I'll see a person in a show. And it's just a good actor or an engaging actor or whatever. And then all of a sudden I'll go, oh, wait, they have a comedy special on Amazon or Netflix or whatever. Yeah. I didn't even know they were a stand. I thought they were an actor. But right. I look at it kind of like, for me, this is my mentality coming from a Bay Area type mindset. And I've watched comedy in New York. I've watched comedy in, you know, here, obviously, and in mm-hmm. um, LA, along with in um, England too. But I look at it as kind of like when it comes to stand-up comedy, I do look at New York as the Mecca. What was it for you um, that made you say, or was it just like a career change? Or was there something that you definitively said, I want to do comedy in New York, and then that's what made you go over there? Uh, Well, um, there was actually a lot of things. Um, But yeah, uh, New York was always the the final destination uh, for myself and my my ultimate plan. Uh, Because, I mean, I I feel like uh, starting in, in San Francisco, the options are you either move to Los Angeles or you move to New York, depending. Yeah. And uh, Los Angeles is more for people that want to maybe do stuff in addition to stand up. Yes, like if that's they want to get into too. Yeah. Yeah, acting or if Writers they and actors. writing. Yeah, yeah. If they want to kind of break into that field, uh, it's optional. I got a Mike Pence fly on me. Do you, I don't know if you see that or not, but no, I'm not picking up on it. <laughs> uh, okay. I got one buzzing around on me. That's all. We'll go to speaker view uh, there. Oh, oh it's fine. <laughs> yeah. He was, just, he was around. The Pence um, fly, man, that's going to go down in history, right? Anytime you're right. having a conversation, be like, Hey, you got a Pence fly on your head. That's what's going to happen, man. Like they're, they're going to say like, that's the fly that affected an entire election. You know? <laughs> not, not to mention a vocabulary. We used to, yeah. you know, we used to go and just do search online, but now we say we Google it. Yep. Oh, yep. I'm being pinched by that fly. Well, they, we used to even say like, oh, well, let me, uh, let me look into it, but now it's just, right. I'm going to Google it <laughs> yep. or any kind of background research. Um, but yeah, so look, uh, people that are going to LA, uh, I feel like, you know, it, it's not just to do comedy. It's like, there's acting, there's writing, there's, there's directing, there's 
a lot of stuff in the industry. Like you would go there to develop your, your position in the industry. Yeah. And in New York, I, I feel like you can really just kind of focus on comedy and there's a lot to do outside of just stuff in, in, in the comedy scene. Yeah. I, I feel like if I went to Los Angeles, like outside of, you know, um, outside of like industry stuff, yeah. you know, there, there's only so much to do, but there's just so much in New York and it's such a huge area too. You know, there's Manhattan, but then there's like four other boroughs, you know, exactly. One is like a, a city in its own right. That's, you know? that's been my experience. Yeah. yeah. It feels and like it, you're going into it kind of a different state, a gift, different, right. food, a different energy. So do you hit up mics outside of Manhattan also? I mean, I used to, yeah. Like, um, back, back when I could, I would go to stuff in Queens, uh, you know, stuff, a lot of stuff in Brooklyn, um, those, those are the really popular ones. There were even a couple of uh, mics in uh, Harlem that I was going to uh, for a while. And just all of those places right now just aren't, aren't open. Or if they are, you know, they, they don't really have a plan for comedy to return just yet. You know, it's the so same it's, here. Everything's still up in the air. Yeah, it's just up in the air right now. Um, yeah. And that, that's so, you know, that's why I had to like uh, hop on over to Zoom. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, because I started in the Bay Area, I was actually also posting on the, the Bay Area Comedy Network, right. trying to get people to, to uh, get an interest in uh, the Zoom comedy. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, I, I just feel like there was so much, there's so much resistance, I think, uh, for East Coast comics uh, yeah. to, to hop on Zoom, just because it's, it's so much, there was just so much, there was so much stage time to get yeah. in New York City. And I feel... Bay Area and, and West Coast comics, they were faster to to adapt to it just because there's such like a, it's more of like a tech savvy scene out there. You're like, I feel like more of like, uh, you know, there's more, you see more like TikTok and Instagram influencers in, in the West Coast than East Coast from, from my experience. So I think Bay Area comics were faster to hop on uh, Zoom and, and figure out how to do online comedy faster in, in a way that people could get some entertainment out of it. I you know? Yeah, it felt like it was almost seamless. Yeah. Because um, there's this guy, he doesn't do his show anymore. His name's Jordan, uh, Jordan Lung. I think he's in Hong Kong now, but he's a Bay Area comic. He was raised in Sunnyvale. But I think we did our, so Santa Clara County and the um, counties around us, so like Alameda and um, a couple others, we, we all shut down March 15th was when we shut down. And I remember this, Jordan had a Zoom show on the 18th that turned into a regular reoccurring. It was a showcase, so he, he invited the lineup. And, but it was literally like three days. And so I had him on the podcast. Just, it, was, it was one of those weird things where um, I had already booked him for the podcast back when I was doing this all in person in my garage. And, um, and then we did the shutdown. And then he kicked that thing off. And then a couple weeks into it, I started seeing more Zoom, both like produced official showcases and then open mics started popping up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I was talking about, I, go, I think you might go down in history as the first comedy Zoom mic. It may not even been in the 18th. It might've been like the 17th or something. I want to say it was within 24 or 48 hours. He just had posted it up and he kept it going for a few months there, but he, he stepped away from it. But then there's a couple other producers who've been doing it. Um, uh, doing the showcases and I joined a couple of those when I was invited, but I kind of had this holdout mentality because mm -hmm. I was thinking, and my prediction ended up being, you know, absolutely incorrect. <laughs> I was like, okay, we'll put our heads down for two months. 
three months. And I go, you know what, this will be a nice reset. Cause like to your point about writing, I'm like, I can still write. I can think up funny things. I can goof around with my um, friends and family and just bounce stuff off of them. And, and then I think three or four months in, I had only done a couple zoom mics, uh, mics on invite. And then, um, Pete Munoz, you know, he, he finally, yeah. hit me up. he's like, Hey, you got to start doing these regularly. Cause I, I would go to his room, uh, any of his rooms I would go to, you know, multiple times per week. And I go, you know, you're right. You're right. And then, but here's where it got crazy because then I started seeing, um, you know, mics in different time zones. Yeah. And so when I had a time at where I didn't necessarily have to be in a meeting at work, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to jump into a East Coast Zoom mic or whatever. And now I feel more connected to comedy because of Zoom yeah. than I did at the beginning of COVID. So I look at it like, well, I really miss going to the bars. I really miss hanging out and doing, quote unquote, the real thing. But mm -hmm. I think if I look at this as a long-term journey, I'm way better off doing the Zoom because I'm meeting, you know, guys like you on the East Coast, um, guys in South, uh, other parts, Chicago, like all over America that, oh, well, I would never even known this person, but now I do. So does it really matter if right. it's the same? It, it doesn't because I think the assumption we're all safe to assume it, at some point we're going to kind of go back to what it was before mm -hmm. where it's some schmuck on a stage with a mic trying to make people laugh. Like that's right. what we're all going to get back to eventually. But now I feel a little bit like when I travel, maybe I'll be able to, um, you know, engage myself in the scene a little bit better, um, which is probably a good transition point. What were some of the most difficult things for you when you transitioned over to New York from San Francisco? I guess it was just kind of like reacclimating to like uh, the new groove. Um, because in San Francisco, I knew where all the open mics were. I knew which ones were worth going to. Um, I had it figured out where I could get on, you know, uh, two to three showcases a week and, and you know, be happy with the work I was doing. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was about like the, um, just kind of finding a new consistency and, and starting new. Yeah. Um, and and it, was a, it was an adjustment. It was a huge adjustment, you know, figuring out uh, which mics were worth going to and, you know, the, meeting people and then even working your way, getting on showcases and, and figuring out which showcases and who to reach out to for those and, you know, where, where to set up and how to get a new tape and, and all of that. It was, it, was, it was difficult, but, you know, it wasn't that bad because, like I said, um, I, I was coming into it with, you know, over, over 12 years of, of experience doing standup. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't like I was going up and like, oh, I'm nervous about, you know, like I know yeah. how to do like a five minute set. I can do a three minute set, you know, yeah. I, can, I can do a 10 minute set if I need, if, you know, if for whatever reason something happened and, and the person couldn't make it to a showcase and they needed to go up, I could, I could go up and do 10 to 15 minutes comfortably without worrying about it and a, and, a, and a set that would more likely at least like be able to open up a door for other opportunities of, of getting booked elsewhere. You yeah. know, it, it's not impossible. So, I mean, in, in the, in like the, the two years I, 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 I've been doing comedy in New York city, I, I feel like I'm at least, you know, ingrained enough that people know who I am and they know like I'm, I'm like working towards something. And yeah. they see me at, at clubs too, not just open mics, but like also showcases and stuff. So, you know, there's, there's some level of, oh, okay. You know, like, you know, everyone's like working towards it. Yeah. Do you feel like, uh, your, your writing evolved or your, 
your jokes evolved since you've been yeah, there? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think I, I think it helped me make um, shorter sets uh, because I was just so used to, you know, five to 10 minute sets in, in the Bay Area where I could just kind of stretch and riff. Yeah. But, you know, being limited to, okay, this might, this is a two and a half minute mic. This is a three, almost like a five minute mic becomes a luxury. It's wow. like, fuck. But then like, you know, you also see people that have like writing credits for the daily show doing these mics too. Yeah. So, you know, if they're writing for a comedy central show and they're still putting their name in a bucket to get pulled and to do a two minute set, you know, it's like, well, I better work on my two minute set too, because, you know, and they crush in their two minute sets, you know, it's very funny. It's very yeah. concise. There's not an ounce of fat on any of their jokes. It's just boom, 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 boom. Thank you. Good night. That's you know, and, and it's like, and that's, that's something you got to work towards now. Yeah. So, you know, and if anything, it's like, and then you, you kind of like reverse engineer that two minutes into five and then stretch to, you know, 10 and then 12, you know, you got oh, yeah. there, but now it's, it's so much more solid than if you kind of meandered your way through and then, you know, you had like a 20 minute set and then you kind of cut that down to like a 15 minute set and you cut it down to a 12 and then you cut, you know, um, so I, I think it's just like an inverse of it in, in New York kind of build your set up. And I think in San Francisco, I had it and then like, I kind of worked my set down. I can see doing, so it's kind of like this concept of ground up versus top down. A little bit. Yeah. And yeah. when I, when I look at some of my bits trying to get into, I try to make it so that everything, every bit I do could also potentially be a one-liner to where, okay, what is the core premise here and what are you trying to get to? Right. But then at the same token, I go, well, no, there's a lot of twists and turns throughout this story that I want to take. And maybe here in um, like at, for instance, Pete's mic, like no one knows how long you're going to go up. You just start talking right. and then right, maybe right. he lights you, or maybe you just get tired of talking and you, you step down. Right. So that one you can go in and go, okay, well, I can do all these twists and turns, but then um, to your point about the two and a half minute set, the mics I've been joining on the East Coast, they are much more um, strict to the five minutes. Yeah. And to the point where they'll mute you um, on some of them if you go over the five minute mark, which is, I, I respect that, right? Because yeah. then you go in and you go, okay, think about what you want to say. And that punch better mean something. It better not be meandering to and fro. And so that's where I would probably look at it like, you're doing like a top-down design where I go, I know these words are needed for crisp premise. Right. And then I know these words are needed for a crisp punch. And then maybe a few words, like three words for a tag or whatever. Yeah. But when you're doing from the ground up, you just get up onto, let's say, a, a, a Woodham's mic and you just kind of meander and talk about something. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of just from the ground trying to like throw things, ah, will that stick, will that stick? Uh, but they're probably two very different disciplines. Like you said, to your point at the beginning of the conversation, both are probably needed. Both ways are legitimate ways. Mm -hmm. um, so you better figure out how to work, work with both of them. Yeah, man. I, I feel like in yeah, San Francisco, it was like learning how to write. And then in New York, it was learning how to edit, you know, how, can, oh, that's a how good can we one. take that out? Yeah. That's how I would look at it. So how much writing do you do? Because I feel like every time I've seen you, I get, there's a new premise and mm -hmm. I just go, wow, this dude, the lens he's looking at the world through is hilarious. Are you coming up with new premises daily? 
I mean, I try to. Um, yeah. So most of it is is uh, riffing. Um, so uh, what I do is like I usually uh, maybe like two or three of the mics I do a week is is just riffing based on either you know something that I heard earlier in the day or something I thought of or just going up completely with a blank slate and just seeing where my mind goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I have those recordings and then I listen back to that. And then certain topics, like I, at some point during my my stream of consciousness riffing, there's points I I like, and it's like okay, well for whatever reason I was compelled to say that, mm-hmm. and then like I'll kind of take that point, and I'll make that my kind of base, and then actually write right, um, okay, to expand on that idea, yeah, and then and then basically I'll kind of take like that whole written piece, and I'll take that to a new mic. And then like my, my set will be more based on, on the writing stuff that was originated from a riff I did. Uh, so it's a little bit of both. Um, right. that, that's kind of what I do. And I think it has more of a, a conversation feel to it. And it yeah. also still makes it feel stream of consciousness because at its core, it was, that's where it originated from, you know? Yeah. Any tips for staying conversational in your act? Because I feel like I... I fall victim to this thing where I go, and then da 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 da, and it's not conversational. It's kind of you're being the uh, whatever you call that the the, the old fashioned predictable comic. But with you, I see a very conversational, flowy thing. Is that something that's natural for you? I, I think a lot of it is is natural. Um, yeah. I, I think a, a one thing I like to do is just kind of like just acknowledge the the Zoom audience, and I think that's a different thing. Um, because like, I mean, I, I feel like sometimes comics will like when they look on gallery view and they see everyone, they either are like, oh, damn, they get like, it's like kind of a different thing because like, there's not, you don't have the same luxuries that you do on stage. Like you don't have a spotlight illuminating you and you don't have a microphone that amplifies your voice over everyone else's and you're not on, on an elevated stage. So you have a certain command over people and, and, yeah. you know, so it, it's different, but you know, for me, I like to just, you know, I was like, Oh, we're all just hanging out. You know, yeah. it's just like a hangout session. We're all just in our pajamas. We're relaxing. You know, it's, it's yeah. low stakes. I went speaking of relaxing. I went the longest time without putting on a pair of socks. <laughs> I was thinking like this goddamn pandemic, just my sock drawer never went down, you know, until yeah. one day I was like, you know what? I should at least uh, go jog or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> just to get some use out of these out of these socks because my I mean I've been fortunate in my career it's like I've just they just said don't come into the office right right <laughs> it's been like okay all right when am I coming back and I, they have no um they have no schedule for me yeah so are you are you at least getting out of the house does your career take you out of the house or I mean some yeah um my my day job uh part part of my job I have to be in the office uh yeah. uh maybe like uh four or five times a month okay um but when I do uh I have a company lift account so I just take right. a lift into the office which is nice that's awesome uh, it was I mean it was also nice because like we were going in in like you know February and March so we had to get tested and stuff yeah and that was a little nerve-wracking right you know, like the start of it where you're like Oh man, I hope everything's okay. But at this point, you know, it's like, look, I'm wearing a mask. I'm I'm staying hydrated, and you know, there's only so much you can do. And if yeah. I haven't gotten it at this point, you know, I'm, I'm I must be doing something right. So let's just keep it up. <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know. 
Fingers crossed. Yeah, buddy. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. So <laughs> what, was, what got you into comedy? The deep, the deep uh, origin story question. What yeah, man. you start doing that? I don't know. There's just something fun about making people laugh. I think like when I was a kid, I wanted to be a cartoonist. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to be a cartoonist. And then like the next progression, like in, in high school, I got into acting. Okay. Um, but I, I realized like I was just really more like the improv and, and sketch comedy aspect of it. Yeah. Um, so in, in college, I was, I was still doing theater and I was on the, the improv team. And at that point, you know, somebody recommended uh, trying stand-up comedy at an open mic. And I, I tried it and I liked it. Um, and then it just kind of went in the back of my mind as I was exploring everything in, in college at the time. Like, oh, maybe I'll do theater. Maybe I'll do creative writing. Let's, let's, see, what, let's see what options there are. Oh, stand-up was fun, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then after college uh, and graduation, after, you know, just having jobs and stuff, working I realized like, man, I think I was having like the most fun when I was doing stand-up comedy. Uh, so like around like uh, 22 was when I started, you know, getting back into comedy. And then like around like uh, 25, 26 was when I was like, all right, let's get like serious, you know, nice. and, and try to like put as much as we can into, you know, getting stuff out of it. Yeah. yeah. And I like that attitude of, um, you know, how, how you mentioned there's no hierarchy or necessarily like what are those called the badges in the boy scouts or something no right yeah there's no merit badge. Badges. it's like just keep yeah. doing it because you know who knows like keep keep working at whatever job or career you you have um but then put a solid effort into comedy and and keep going because um you know you you never know when those next those next yeah are going to come yeah, but I, you, yeah. So you brought up improv also. I, a lot of com, uh, stand-up comics that I really like, it seems like improv is a part of their resume, if mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. Yeah, so. it, and it, it should be. It makes you think on stage, you know? Yeah. Um, it, 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 improv's good because it teaches you to, not, to go on stage without a plan. And I think that's very, very important. And just to be able to think on stage and to, you know, maybe even go up on stage expecting to be able to do one thing, but then the course of the show and the audience reaction leads it to go a different way. It's all about being able to adjust and accommodate to that. And I think, um, yeah, I, I think improv's a, a great skill for uh, comedians to have in that regard. You know, um, there's some people, you know, it, it's funny because like there's like this weird thing where you know some people are super against doing improv and then like people that do improv are against doing stand-up and stuff but it's like those are both good skills to have yeah. i think imp i think good improv people should be able to do stand-up and stand-up should be able to do improv i think yeah. it's a good cross-pollination honestly i think any kind of skills on stage help other skills on stage you know i think so everything builds up and it's embracing an chaos in both scenarios absolutely but and i i think a stand-up comic probably you could fall back on thinking well i've written my set i've written my set but in reality you have people out there and those people aren't always gonna they're not gonna play along for whatever reason mm -hmm. and it's been talked about you know a million different times about how for some reason stand-up comedy is that one stage discipline where people think it's okay to be part of the show and jump in right. so as yeah. a stand-up comic you always probably need to be ready to embrace the chaos and then 
you know, whatever, whatever you can make of it, maybe you end up eating plates of shit or maybe you, you know, win over a lot of people. Um, you're going to deal with more chaotic situations than you probably want to, which I'm, yeah, is improv, yeah. right? I mean, like, I'm sure, like, you know, the rush people get doing stand-up is similar to, like, the rush a gambler feels before, like, they know if they've, you know, mm-hmm. made it or not. Like, there's a certain anticipation of, like, the unknown and, and what's going to happen. That That's a rush that you get from stand-up that you might not necessarily get from, you know, I mean, you definitely get, like, a rush performing in, like, an orchestra or or a play, but that's also a, a, a group effort where you know you kind of rise and and fall as a team and you can shine in in those instances even when other people were falling short but in the end like it's a group effort as it should be but with with stand-up it's like you know you're the writer and like unless it's you know a a fucking hbo or netflix produced special you're also like the director in the sense that when you're on stage you choose when to walk stage left and when stage right you know that's why a lot of comics film their set is is not just so like they have an audition tape but also so like they can see how they move on stage or you know it's like oh i notice i my my left arm just kind of hangs loose i need to figure out something to do with my left arm like they give themselves that that criticism you know 100 percent. i i started videotaping i at first i was doing the audio from when i had started and then i started videotaping myself probably i'd say within three months and I realized there were a lot of things that I thought I was doing with, um, on stage with the microphone that I thought was adding to the delivery. And then I realized, oh, these are nervous twitches that you're doing up there with a certain pacing or a certain movement. Or gra- and I go, that, that really isn't necessary. But I would, never would have been conscious of it. Never would have thought of it until I, saw, I looked back at a video and I go, oh. You don't need to be doing that, Matthew. <laughs> it's okay to stop that uh, pacing or whatever I was doing. So yeah, I found that. T- and and I, I, I always, I never record these Zooms. So I haven't mm. really recorded. I think there was one or two Zooms where someone recorded it for me. And I, and I could do like a screen capture, but I always forget to hit the um, whatever. But I really did like having that video to go back from the day before. And also for the editing process, I could figure out what words didn't need to be there. Yeah. And um, I, I thought that was really helpful, but yeah, I just haven't been doing it. Um, just it's a, Yeah, it's a discipline. Like, you know, it's part of like the discipline of, uh, you know, the, the same comics that have the discipline to write every day. Um, there's comics that have the discipline to, of setting up their tripod and, and yeah. filming their set every time or, you know, setting up their, their recorder on their phone or, you know, and then like actually like making an effort to listen to the recording and file it away, you know, and, and make sure it's labeled and stuff. So, you know, um, that's like they, true. Yeah. Every, every, it's all, it, everything's a discipline, man. Yeah. Um, you know, and like maybe like every, people are disciplined in different ways too. So, you know, like I, I try not to get down, like I didn't write today, blah, but you know, you still did like three open mics. That's good. That's a discipline too. You know, yeah. it's, it's everything, everything is like, every, it, at the end, like the, the, what we should all be working towards is trying to be like the funniest we can be. And, you know, all, there's all these intersecting and intertwining paths, but they all lead to the destination of being funny. You yep. know? So don't, don't worry too much about that. Just make sure you're just moving for like in the path and, you know, it curves and stuff, but as long as you're still moving forward, that's all that really matters. Yeah. Yeah. That's the goal for me to be 
somewhat proficient at being able to walk into a room and make strangers laugh. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the goal. You know, that's what we're that striving takes, for, man. Yeah. 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 Where, where it takes you or how you get there. Um, but I agree. You made a good point about not beating yourself up because it's taken a while for me to realize this, but I always was oriented to what I haven't done today. You know, mm -hmm. almost this weird, I, I don't know what you would call it, but like this critic would be like, would totally dismiss the fact that you, like you said, the open mic, like, oh, well, I did this in the morning. I wrote or I did whatever, but I didn't hit seven open mics this week. So I'm a loser. Like, well, wait a minute. No, don't look at, look at the stuff you did accomplish. And maybe mm -hmm. every once in a while you need an honest assessment and be like, you didn't do as much as you said you would do. So you got to stay honest there. But then I, I really, I got to shut that guy up who looks at all the stuff that I haven't done <laughs> and just look at the stuff. Okay. You did accomplish something. Right. Uh, so take it easy there, tiger. Yeah. And, and use like what you've done and what you've accomplished as like a barometer of where should I set my goals for future projects? You know, like I want to make sure working to the best of your abilities, but also making sure like you're not setting up expectations so high, there's no yeah. way you can meet them and immediately discouraging yourself before you even try. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Like there, there's something to be said for, you know, like, you know, being, being pragmatic and, and, you know, the natural progression of things and, and knowing your limits and knowing when to push yourself to, to go beyond, but also to when to accept, like, you know, you're only human and there's only so many hours in the day yeah. and you can definitely, you know, find time, for a lot of things. And it's about, it's about juggling, you know? Yep. Um, but you know, you don't need to do, you don't need to do comedy every fucking waking minute of the day. You can also live as a human because yep. you don't want to be like a person that only talks about comedy stuff because then there's a, a disconnect with the audience. Yes. Because you know, com like people like comedy to an extent, but that's not all they want to talk about. There's also like people have jobs, people have hobbies, people have passions and as a comedian, you should also have those things. So you can also connect with people, you know, either a love of baseball or just like absurd stuff. But you yeah. know, that, that's why so many comics talk about dating. Cause like everyone dates yeah. to some level or it's either the success, the trials or the tribulations of dating. But like, it's all about really like that. Almost every comic has like a relationship, like yeah. oh, so I started dating, you know, yeah. everything, but it's, it's stuff like I'm going to the park, you know, just like simple stuff like that. And people are like, Oh, I was at the park the other day. Let's see what, let's see if he knows the same thing I did. You know, yeah. <laughs> like sometimes they're like, Oh, this person acknowledged the same thing I did. Cool. You know, it's just, that's all it is. You gotta have, you gotta have stuff that people find interesting. Yeah. Well, I think even Gary Goldman, he was doing those tweets for a while. I don't know if he's doing them anymore, but one oh, of the Gary Goldman guide. Yeah, the Gary Goldman guy, there was a tweet about how he, he did recommend until you hit a certain level to keep a day job. Because he said a day job, that's connecting you to your audience because you're going through all the same struggles that us, mm -hmm. all us nine to five people go through. And then once you're a professional entertainer, you're a professional entertainer. You no longer can relate to the water cooler right. conversation or the, the obnoxious guy that goes to lunch with the team, you know, like... So all of that stuff is important and, and all of that is stuff, like you said, to your point is going to keep you connected to uh, every day, right? Right. And, and the idea is also like by the time you're successful enough to be like a full-time entertainer, you still have enough life experience to draw upon that you have yes. stuff to talk about on stage too. Well, you know? I look at that and I'm grateful that I more or less lived a life 
before I started stand-up because, mm-hmm. um, well, number one, I don't know that my ego could have handled the level of, um, I guess, failure that it takes to um, get a joke to work. Mm-hmm. I think that probably, I probably would have given up after a few months um, in, in my 20s, just being honest with myself. But then on top of that, I kind of feel like, well, there's a lot of, maybe not crazy shit that I've gone through, but there's a lot of stuff that I've had to work on having a perspective on that I may not have had if I started comedy when I was 18 years old or 19 years old, you know? Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's very true. Um, let me ask yeah. you this though. Who are, who were some of your early comedic inspirations? Oh man, like uh, Patton Oswalt, you know, okay. when I first started, like that feeling kind of Patton and 222. Yeah. Uh, those are relatively fresh. Uh, Zach Galifianakis live at the Purple Onion. That was a, that was a big one. That was huge. Uh, yeah. And I love the musicality in it. Uh, yeah. And just like the absurdity and like just how awkward certain parts were, you know, he just kind of, just kind of went so wild with it. It was like, yikes sometimes. Yeah. No, it was, uh, that, that was a really, I like that one a lot. I haven't thought about that particular album in a while, but that really made an impression on me. Um, one was how much of his act was to the piano. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing was like, that truly was just a killer, killer stage persona that he's kind of carried over into almost everything he does. I mean, In Between Two Ferns is one of my favorite YouTube mm-hmm. series. And you can really see that what he did in that special has still carried through to the way he behaves on between two firsts. Yeah, definitely, definitely. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that was a fantastic one. And then who are some contemporary guys right now that keep you fired up? Uh, let's see. I still like John Mulaney. I think he's okay. a lot of fun. Bill Burr, always a a, a classic. Yeah. Um, and uh, let, let's. I I still uh, I, I like uh, Big J Okerson and uh, Dan Soder. Just a lot of a lot of the New York comics. Okay. Uh, yeah, they're they're just great out here. Louis J Gomez. Uh, just the list goes on. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any recollection of like who was? a live performance that you saw that just sucked the oxygen out of the room. Hmm. Like in a good way or a bad yeah, way? Yeah, in a good way. Like where oh, you, you just go, I didn't know a room could rock this hard or have people laughing so hard. Oh, I saw like, I saw Chappelle like uh, three years ago at the San Francisco punchline. Oh, nice. And it was like, it was just, it, I mean, it was like right before his like uh, two latest specials came out. Okay. Um, on that, it was like right before they dropped. Um, and just like, just like the aura he had about him too. Like, even as he was like walking from the green room to the bathroom, how everyone like, you know, there were like three people that were following him at all times. Yeah. And just like how everyone kind of stopped what they were doing. And we're like, oh, there he goes. Yeah, yeah. And they, they kind of cloud around that. And then just to see him on stage and how just everyone just held, like hung on his every word and just how effortlessly cool he was. And I just, I was like, that's incredible. It was, it was crazy, man. You know, and he's only gotten better. It, it, it's, it's, it's nuts. I think cool. I, that's the right word for Chappelle mm-hmm. because I, I enjoyed every special he's done over the last, whatever, since he got that big Netflix contract, every mm-hmm. single one of those that drops, I just loved, but there was one in particular where he did it in the belly room and I forget the name. I want to say it's either, um, 
equanimity or um, third something. Well, I forget the actual name, but it was a really small room, um, the, the belly room in the comedy store. And the special wasn't even necessarily that comical. Obviously, you laugh because it's Chappelle and he just has a way of turning mm-hmm. the mundane into something really funny. But there was just a way he was going through that whole set. And it was storytelling more than anything where I just go, man, this is so masterful. It's not that I'm laughing every 90 seconds, but there's something about the way he's just handling the story. And granted, I'm not even there. If you're there, it's like a hundred times better mm-hmm. than watching it on a Netflix. But I said, I, I thought to myself, I go, I think Chappelle has almost transcended just stand-up comedy like the yuck, yuck, yuck. Here's a... a oh, absolutely. Line. Absolutely. He's transcended into almost some kind of... This might be a little pretentious to say this, but almost like a philosopher, you know, like a, like an Aristotle getting up and yeah. speaking in front of people about stuff. Yeah. Well, he's definitely in the books now, you know, like yeah. it's, it's, it's definitely something that that's going to define a, an entire generation of comedy, you know, just the same way Carlin was just, is just integral to, to stand up yes. comedy. Uh, Dave Chappelle will be as well. Right. Yeah, no, he's he's a great guy. Um, definitely want to get more of them. Yeah, I guess you're seeing so much good comedy. I I always and I don't like to cast stones, but I'll I'll use another comics description mm-hmm. of the New York, L.A., San Francisco dynamic. Um, and I, I feel that this is kind of true as being a fan of comedy and having watched in every market, you know. Mm-hmm stand-up comedy, but Ali Wong said this one time. I forget where she said it. I, I, think, I think it could have been in a Mark Marin podcast or something, but she said, um, because Marin was also in New York, San Francisco, mm-hmm. and LA, and Ali Wong, you know, as we all know, is those three markets too. And she described it as, the talent is in New York, the ambition is in um, LA, and then kind of the weird nebulous energy is in San Francisco. Oh, absolutely. Where, where people are like, you know, I don't, maybe I'm a comic, maybe I'm not a comic. Yeah, and, yeah. I think out here, you don't necessarily, I never think like I need to have a stand-up act. I always just go, I'm experimenting. Everything I do, it's an experiment. Mm-hmm. Hopefully there's a joke in here. But definitely, you know, the talented joke writers and joke tellers of just raw talent and horsepower, they're, I feel like they're in New York. Like when I go to New York, I don't watch bad shows. Like in LA, mm-hmm. I've watched bad. I've paid to watch comics where I'm just going, oh, I can't believe I just paid how much to see, you know, not, not to shit talk, but it's, it's happened on more mm-hmm. than one occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then here in San Francisco, there's or the Bay Area, I should say, there's just kind of a nebulous, we, kind of weird, um, weird flow. Um, so having worked in the two markets, what are some big contrasts comp- compare that you could say between San Francisco and New York? Uh, the, the size, man, you know, it, it's funny because, um, you know, there, there were so many clicks in San Francisco. Uh, and I was like, man, I bet when I go to New York, you know, everyone's just going to be so driven by, you know, uh, ambition that there's no time for clicks. And there's just as many clicks out here. There's yeah, always yeah. going to be clicks. We're, yeah, yeah. we are perpetually in high school, man. We're yeah, never yeah. going to get out of this shit. Yep. Um, 
uh, the the size i think oh you know what i i feel like uh new york uh you can get a little more humbled because all a lot of the open mics are are bucket lists and that's where you put your name in a bucket and they pull out groups of five randomly so you might be there for like you know 10 minutes you might be there for like an hour and a half waiting to go up sometimes even like three right. hours you know oh. uh, but then like in San Francisco, it's all like lists and shit and or yeah. uh, online signups, man. And you get longer time. So I feel like your confidence gets built up a lot faster in San Francisco. I, I feel like there's a, there's a little more hum- humility in uh, New York, you know, yeah. cause like everyone just has to like grind so much. And, and because the bucket is such a great equalizer for the most part, like, yeah, there's a few rigged ones, but you know, waiting to go up for a while makes you feel like, man, maybe I'm not shit, you know, especially yeah, they go up and they just crush and right. you're like oh no and, and like you see like you're like well maybe if i'm in like the next group you know i'll be able to get some audience and you know in the next group and the audience gets a little smaller and you're like maybe i'll be in this group and, oh. and the audience gets a little smaller and you're like ah but you, i think you just learn how to like work you know the the four or five people that that you know stuck around right um, and the other good news is like a lot of mics are back to back in new york so if you're in the last group of, of the first mic, usually like the early birds to the next mic will be there and they'll be the audience. So you'll still get like to perform in front of some people. Nice. That helps. And at the very worst, like, you know, you get two mics in one night and that's pretty good still too. Yeah. Even if you have to wait. <coughs> um, those are some of the biggest, I, I feel like there's a, I, I mean, this might just be because I've, I've been in the San Francisco comedy community for so long, but I, I felt like it was a stronger sense of community. Hmm. Um, but in, in, in terms of like people wanting to hang out outside of standup and, and meet for non-standup related things. Yeah. Um, but that also just might've been like, I've just been there for so long. And at that point, you know, you're, you're bound to make friends with people. And I, yeah. by comparison, I've been in New York for like two years and now like, of like, you know, that time, yeah. like, what eight months have been in like lockdown now. So yeah, uh, what, can, what can you do? You know, it, it's a, I think we're starting uh, from ground zero as soon as we, uh, if things ever, ever start to normalize ever again. I, I think, I think we are. And the sad thing, at least here in the Bay is, you know, there's a lot of, I think there's going to be a lot of bars that walk, ha- either have walked away from their lease or are yeah. forced to walk away from their lease. Cause it's just like, I can't pay thousands of dollars to keep, to keep a, a lease on this thing. Um, so I don't even know where it's going to start again. Do you think this this shutdown is going to shake off a lot of people who are aspiring to be comics? No, I think I think if anything, like they probably enjoy doing Zoom comedy more than like actual mics and stuff. You know, I feel if anything, like there's people that are at home bored and they were like, you know what, it looks like there's a Zoom open mic. I could do an open mic on my computer. You know, they have like yeah. their notes on the screen. If anything, like now is the time. They just everyone has so much free time. Yeah, what's stopping them? You know, they don't even have to say like, oh well. It's, I have to take a bus to the other side of town. It's a commute. It's like, you just turn on your computer. You log in. It's, it's, a, it's a three minute process, you know? Oh yeah. You it's, need it's, to have, you need to be really good at making excuses to not do a Zoom mic. <laughs> yeah, if anything, it might be a bigger drop off when the Zoom stops and, and uh, live comedy resumes. Well, I'm, I used to think that as soon as live comedy resumes, Zoom would drop off. I think Zoom might be here to stay. Yeah. Um, and I was talking with Sam Medina, who 
he runs a couple Zoom mics. Um, he's an East King, Bay guy. He's King, uh, King Hypothetical Comedy, man. He's King, King Hypothetical. Yes, he is. And he, his take, and I agree with him, is that we're going to return to a hybrid thing where, um, you know, talking about bars where we do most of our open mic stuff. I don't know when the bar, the quote unquote, the bar scene in the United States is going to be normal again. I mean, we could be talking a five-year plan because now it's super risky because anyone who had um, even a mild ambition about opening a bar or maintaining some kind of nightlife type thing in any city is thinking, well, what happens when the next pandemic comes? So people aren't going to want to necessarily reboot mm -hmm. uh, a lot of bars because it's so risky now um, that it may be a lot less open mics in the physical space. So that means Zoom won't just like taper off. It may be like, you know, there's two bar graphs or whatever. And, mm -hmm. you know, the Zoom will be up here and it'll slowly come back down as the um, physical mics open back up. But his take was like, he doesn't think Zoom's going away ever. And I, I tend to agree with him now because of all the stuff we just talked about. Like it's really easy for comics. And then if you're just a fan of comedy, there's no shortage of Zoom rooms to jump into. Right, right. Um, so we might be just living in some kind of hybrid world where you do, you know, three to five Zooms a week and maybe you're only doing two or three physical mm. mics a week. Um, but it, it's hard to say because, you know, this. I've been wrong with every prediction with this <laughs> pandemic. I and, mean, it, make, um, it makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, like, it's, it's low overhead. It's yeah. easy you know it, it's convenient i mean i mean i can i can host like a two and a half hour three hour open mic from my house without issue it yeah. would be far more exhausting to do that a three hour yes. open mic in real life on top of you know a 30 minute commute there and back you yeah. know it's like oh gosh okay that's a challenge but this is like all right i'm done i'm out of here i'm already yeah. home you know right you're safe and going to going to work in the morning you got to wake up so yeah running those open mics it's not a small physical open mics is not a small investment of your life that's yeah that's significant um and yeah and you have to have like a bar that's willing to have people there that just want to do and then you know if you do it at a bar then you know the bars have to keep their overhead you're probably gonna have to charge like a drink mm -hmm. and like there's some people that are like well i don't want to if i can just look i just want to work on something i'll just do that at home on a zoom mic for free you know yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. So, do you got any good horror stories in your time in comedy? Like, the, um, heckling story. Oh gosh. Um. Um. So, like, right before lockdown, and I'm glad this is kind of out of like the, uh, um, uh, everyone's memory. Uh, I, I was running an open mic with a, a friend of mine, uh, Danny Stratton, here in New York, okay. at, at the Creek in the Cave, and uh, this one comic, uh asked if, if Danny and I would want to roast each other for a roast battle. And I think like we were to support one another. We both said, uh, yes, we'll do it. Okay. And uh, none of us were really like roast comics in terms of like, and I didn't really have anything to, bad to say about him and he didn't really have anything bad to say about me. Yeah. So it's, it's just like, we just both equally bombed so horribly. Like oh, the judges were watching, like, and the audience was like absolutely silent. I felt uncomfortable. I was like, fuck, 
all of my jokes were just like garbage. I was thinking I didn't have anything good to say. I didn't have anything like good, like in terms of like roasting him to say, you know, I tried to, I, I sort of tried to make fun of his dog, but nobody even liked that. And I was like, fuck, I shouldn't have even tried that, man. It was, it was just awful. And like the judges were like, do we have to declare our winner? And it was like, we both lost so badly. <laughs> oh, no. It was so awful. And then like, honestly, thank God COVID fucking hit the US literally like two weeks later. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, no one knows. Thank God it was like just audience, so it wasn't recorded or anything. Oh, I pretend cool. it never happens, you know. Yeah, it, it yeah. was awful. But at least you know, like I, I learned to say no if anyone asked me to do a roast battle again. Well, yeah. I, man, I, I can see the, um, I definitely see the benefit in joke writing with roasting, mm. but I think you need to have a level of viciousness that I don't necessarily have. Because I think what roast audiences like is they really like the kind of ruthlessness and the darkness of going mm -hmm. to uncomfortable places. I think that's what roast uh, audiences respond to. Because um, you watch some of these <laughs> roast battles and people are just like, I go, oh, wow. And you guys are still friends after that? Yeah, yeah. Some you know, are just like, yikes, man. <laughs> exactly. Yikes. So, uh, I, yeah, I don't think I would be that... Um, just knowing myself, being honest with myself, I don't know if I would want to do, do a roast. And if I did, I would probably do something. I would try and do something cheeky where it's kind of either compliment. I, I don't know what I would do. I haven't thought about it enough, but see, here's the thing. As a comic, you walk through life and you see things that you just want to, you just in your head, you're roasting. You could be at a grocery store, something you see at a grocery store, an interaction <laughs> you have, and you're just lighting them up in your head. Yeah. But then just like I, I'm a polite person and it, it, that would never come out. <laughs> Right, right. You're like, oh, but it, but in my head. <laughs> yes. In my head, this is pretty evil stuff. Yeah. But these are like interactions with people or circumstances that would never. Never happen. And like, you'll never see them. In exactly. Again. That's exactly right. right? So if yeah. I see someone walking by and something clicks in my head, it's like, well, that's not necessarily a person that I'm going to be bumping into on a regular basis. I just had this random thought. Whereas you know, comedy roasting, like these are right. technically your You're technically going to be working or you're like eventually going to plan on working with them again. Yes. You know? So it's yeah. like, you got to kind of like censor. I feel like you have to really know the person well to get away with roasting them too. I think and, so. And so much of, of comedy is like, I don't know, so many, so, so many comedy relationships can be so casual and just yeah. so on the surface where, you know, maybe you get like food at mcdonald's after a show every once in a while but you're not right. like hanging out with them they're not coming to your birthday party you know yep so it, it's hard so it's hard to figure it out you know walk that line you know it's, you know what it's interesting you say that because i agree with your assessment there i agree but here's what i will say to add to that i always feel a certain um higher level of kinship if you will with comics but I think it's because of a shared experience. We are humbled so often in so many scenarios with where whatever expectation we have when we set foot on stage, we get off stage going, well, that didn't go as expected. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, I used to ride dirt bikes and I felt the same way with people who rode dirt bikes. We were all kind of superficially, we were all friends, but it wasn't, it was like you said, it's not like I'm inviting you over necessarily to my christening of my baby right. i'm friends with you because i know you're doing something that kind of is a risky thing and i understand where your head is is at or been at and i feel that same 
kind of, uh, I guess, bond with other comics where I go, I, I, don't, I don't really know you and maybe we'll never, you know, be at each other's weddings or funerals or whatever, but I, I kind of know your experience. So we have this superficial friendship <laughs> yeah, yeah. just from the start. Right. So, yeah, it's interesting. So what kind of stuff you got going on now? How many, I know you have a Wednesday mic, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I have a uh, Wednesday and a Friday Zoom mic um, that I, uh, I basically just, uh, yeah, I post signups on hypothetical comedy and displaced comedians. Like getting on those pages, like really helped. That's when like my Zoom shows you really too. started picking up momentum of, of people showing up to them was going on displaced comedians where, you know, everyone's looking for stage time right yes. now so yeah that's an incredible resource and then yeah once i started posting on displaced comedians and hypothetical comedy you know it went from you know three to four people showing up for my open mic to you know 15 to 20 and eventually like you know we got close to 30 one time nice um, of, of people just popping in and it, it's almost exclusively through word of mouth and uh, uh posting it on displaced and uh hypothetical displaced is awesome yeah, it's super useful. Yeah. You need a lot of people. And like a lot of my friends are already on it too. Yep. That's a good sign. Yep. You know? What how's it looking yeah. in New York? Are you guys I hear you guys are doing park open mic or not open yeah, shows? There's park shows. I've done park shows. I've done rooftop shows. Okay. Um, and they've they've been pretty good. Uh it, it just, you know, it sucks because you know, we have to keep social distancing and keep everything safe. So a lot of times like attendance is limited. Yeah. So they're, they're small. It's a smaller turnout. And, you know, that's another benefit. Like the Zoom shows, you can have a ton of people in. I've done yeah. Zoom shows with over 100 audience members, you know? And then if you stream it on Facebook, that's more people to watch it too. Yeah. That, that helps a lot. Um, yeah. I would, I would say it's, it's, it's different, but um, yeah. And then there's not even a lot of, like a lot of times, like the out, outdoor mics, it's just comedy for other comedians. Yeah. Not a lot of times, like if there is audience, like the audience is already at the park, but they're there to just hang out and do their yeah. own thing. They don't really want to watch necessarily watch comedy. So they yeah. won't. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, who, you know, why does this guy have a microphone and a PA? Yeah. What's going on here? And sometimes they'll do live shows, but you know, there's only so much you can do at a live show and there's only so many people you can fit in a live show. You know, so that's like another factor. Yep. Um, so, you know, like the, the shows are awesome. There's a handful of shows that are really cool, but it's also getting cold now too. Winter's here in New York, man. That's right. That's right. So it's like people aren't going to want to be on a rooftop in, in November and December. You know, it's, it's, it's way too cold. It, it got it. Uh, the it, uh, Friday, it was 71 degrees and today it's 50 degrees. Like it's just, it's getting cold. Yeah. That's not good. Have you guys got rain yet? Not yet. Okay. I feel like that that's coming up soon though. Yeah. Man, I hope we get rain in California soon. Well, you guys need it right now. Oh we're, my we're, God. we're probably getting it snow sooner than later. Yeah. Yeah, it's been brutal out here. It's been rough. It's been it's just been crazy, man. It's been yeah. it, and then like it just yeah, it 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 sucks all over, but in California it's just like wildfires on top of COVID and just all of this shit, man. It's just, ugh. I, yeah, I, man, I said this, but it's like, if we would have had even one of these events in 2020, we'd have been like, woo, that 2020. 
Yeah. How the hell? Yeah, but we just, they keep coming, man. And we uh, haven't yeah. got to the election yet. And, um, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't even discouraged. Real, I mean, you're bummed when this pandemic happens and you're bummed when you see all this, um, you know, civil unrest and whatever's happening there. But I, I didn't really get disheartened in, until like, I would say the third or fourth week of fires here in California. Cause it was just like, you couldn't go outside. Just yeah. this toxic air was just so gross for so long. And then I was like, and people are moving. Like, you know, there's a lot of coverage on people leaving California. I mean, just even where I live, there's probably like, I don't know. I would say just in the two block region, there's at least 10, 10 to 15. Vacancies. But yeah, people are ejecting out here, but I don't blame anyone because I'm just like, I'm born and raised in California and I, it's tough, man. I'm going to stay here, but it's just getting so crazy out it's here. It's harder and harder to justify, huh? So hard to justify. Yeah. So hard to justify. And a lot, um, yeah, a lot of people, like uh, their jobs are letting them work remote permanently. So they're all getting out of the Bay Area. They're all getting out of New York. They're going cheaper places, man. Yes. You know? Well, especially here because all these tech giants – they already had the processes in place where they, they, they knew they could have a remote workforce, but they just, I think there was a traditional like industrial revolution mindset of, well, we have to meet each other every morning and we have to talk at the wall, but we all had, I've been saying this for like 20 years, like no one needs to go, not no one, some people need to go to the office, but if you're doing anything with email, spreadsheets, programming, yeah. Own, working on the, like, you don't need to be in an office. You can be at home. You can, I can easily do my job at home. I exactly. just go into the office because I need to get packages every once in a while. Exactly. That, it's like, yeah, there's no and, reason. And in the modern workforce, that description is pretty much applies to, I would say, 80% of us. Um, so I've been saying this for a while, but now it's, it's happening and most of these big techs are just like, well... Uh, let's talk about it in second half of 2021, right. which I think is the wise thing to do um, because probably the vaccine hopefully will be more out there, not completely out there, but things will get a little better. And then you can take a like right now, no one knows it changes day to day. Right. Right. So, just don't know. It's all up in the air. It's like, um, yeah, 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 yeah. But at least we've got comedy. That's right, man. Yeah, nothing will stop comedy. If anything, like we found out, it can adapt to any situation. I think you know? we are going to go down as the cockroaches of the entertainment industry. Absolutely. You can't shake the stand-up comic. <laughs> we will find desperate. a way. <laughs> the most desperate breed of performer. Yep. Right. <laughs> Listen to me. <laughs> yeah. Pay attention. Right on. <laughs> Cool, Joe. Well, this was this was awesome, man. I really appreciate you joining the podcast, and I know absolutely we'll continue to see each other. And um, again, I just wanted to reiterate, I, I love your stuff, man. And I, I'm looking forward to someday when we're going to be able to actually share a physical stage. Either I'll get out there, or maybe you'll come back here some sometime, and uh, we'll get to hang out. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's been great. Thank awesome. you. Awesome.